You are listening to Geek Fest Rants on the IC Robots Radio Network. You have located Geek Fest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. We have always looked to the stars to discover who we are. And hidden there is a message. A secret made of space and time. Visible only to those open enough to receive it. Captain Christopher Pike requests permission to come aboard. Commander, this is awkward, but the best way to get into a cold stream is to jump right in. I'm here to take command of the Discovery under Regulation 19, Section C. Your directive is only instituted when an imminent threat is detected. Federation sensors picked up seven red bursts spread out across more than 30,000 light years. These mysterious signals are beyond anything we understand. Is it a greeting? A declaration of malice? Let's find out. Aye, sir. Six seconds to impact. I am in total free fall. Trust us, Discovery has you. Right, ladies? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, dear. This is the power of math, people! We have someone in common. My foster brother, Mr. Spock. He took leave. This is if he'd run into a question he couldn't answer. Spock is linked to these signals, and he needs help. We're on a collision course with a pulsar. Oh, what a relief. Thought we were all gonna die. Wherever our mission takes us. We'll try to have a little fun along the way. Ruffle a few feathers. I look forward to it. Hit it. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Why not? You okay? You look a little... Yes, I hear it's going around. Bless you. Hi, everybody, and welcome once again to GeekFest Rants. My name is Carlos Perone, and today we are going to take a deep, deep dive into Star Trek Discovery. Joining me once again, I have co-host Steve Folks, who is going to help me go through the first season of Star Trek Discovery. We're going to examine the major plot points, the new characters introduced into this show. Everything from the actors to the music to the special effects to even the short treks. These new little mini episodes that have been airing lately to prepare us for season two. And as usual, we'll take a little 
trip back into the history of Star Trek and how we individually got involved in it. So let's begin with Star Trek Discovery. Television is an amusement park. Television is a circus, a carnival, a traveling troupe of acrobats, storytellers, dancers, singers, jugglers, sideshow freaks, lion tamers, and football players. We're in the boredom killing business. Okay, today we are going to talk about Star Trek Discovery. Joining me today, I have Steve Folks, who was here uh, with me a couple of episodes ago. Welcome, uh, welcome back, Steve. Thanks for having me back. I'm really, really looking forward to this one. Cool, cool. Star Trek Discovery. Before we talk about what's happening right now with the show, let's start a little bit with the background in terms of, granted, this is a 50-year or even more than 50-year worth of history behind the show, and I'm sure you jumped in it at a different time than I did. My introduction to Star Trek was on reruns of... Uh, the original series back in the let's say early 80s uh, 1980 and going forward so as i'm watching these original trek episodes all of a sudden the movies are kind of bubbling up a little bit i missed the motion picture in the theaters but by the time star trek 2 came about forget it i was already going to the theaters and watching them and all that kind of stuff and then you know i kept going with the movies and around 80, I don't even remember, 86, 87, when all of a sudden Next Generation started. And I've told this story in the past, and I'll, I'll tell it really fast just because you're here. I was able to visit the Next Generation set a few months before they started filming. I was a part of a trip that I took to California when I was in high school, I think. I was still in high school at the time. And, you know, I I started watching that show live, and then everything that followed, I just continued. You know, through DS9, through uh, Voyager, Enterprise, you know, you name it. I continued with all these shows, watching them. It's hard for me to really tell you if there's a favorite. I mean... Because I was watching it live, you know, Next Gen, is it, it kind of resonates more with me. And because it kind of had a little bit of a springboard effect into some films, you know, they kind of, you know, have a, a closer connection. But I can I can definitely appreciate the original. You know, I, I can look past the, the what sometimes could be considered, you know, cheesy sets and stuff of the time. And then all the other shows that followed on TV... To me, they felt, you know, not exactly of the high quality that I I was feeling out of uh, Next Generation, specifically the later seasons of Next Generation. It was a bit of a rough start. But, you know, that's kind of how I progressed with the show. And, yeah, there were some episodes in in any of these shows that, you know, you're kind of like, oh, God, this is just a rehash of that episode. And this is a, you know, everything goes back to the original. It almost felt like a lot of times that they're just rehashing all that old stuff, just changing the names around. But, you know, I I still loved it. I, I loved the idea, you know, the original Gene Roddenberry idea of how this futuristic utopian kind of world existed where... Yes, you still had conflicts, but theoretically, we were able to work out a lot of our problems and be able to focus more on space exploration. Uh, what about you? When did you jump into all this? 
Mine, yeah, similar, similar to yours, actually. Mine was, um, it wasn't with the original series. Uh, obviously, you know, I, I didn't exist back then either. So yeah, I, yeah. Um, so my first initial point of contact with Star Trek was with actually um, Star Trek the movie uh, First Contact, which I believe came out. Oh yeah, wow! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that was actually um, that was actually one of my first. And that's an excellent movie. Oh, that's a great movie. Yeah, it's one of my favorites still. The reason why this was my first point of contact with it and the reason why I liked it so much was around that time, I was, I was, I was you know, really big into Star Wars as a kid. I was, you know, playing, I had, I had all these toys and everything. Star Wars was so big at that time and mm-hmm. Star Wars seemed to be on the uptick because we were, we were getting these, you know, not, not even rumors anymore, but the, the fact that, that, the, that the new special editions were coming out and they were going to be released within a few months of the release of First Contact. So I, I was, you know, hyped up on the Star Wars mania. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say in order to satiate myself, but I, I guess to kind of like look at something that seemed very similar to me, I found um, Star Trek. And I saw the fact that, you know, there was this movie called no, First Contact. And so, um, and so I, I remember seeing it in theaters, and mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, and, and I was I was like, wow, this is great, it's so cool. And at, at the time when I was so young, I, I could I didn't really, I, I didn't really see the difference between Star Trek and Star Wars. <laughs> I just saw you know you know they, they were just they, they were just you know science fiction things in space with lasers, and so uh, to me it was all the same. To me it was just great. So uh, you know, looking back now, you know, it was like night and day. Well, that's an excellent start point because First Contact, as far as I'm concerned, is like the equivalent of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, when it comes to that, that the next generation crew. It is the best yeah. one of, of that crew. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think if, if each crew had a, had a certain you know, um, gold standard, I think First Contact would be for, for the next generation crew, while Wrath of Khan was for uh, the, the the original series. And so for, and so just to, just to go through quickly, so, so from there, I got in more on board after after seeing First Contact. I, I was I went all Star Wars all the way, you know. But, but later on, when Enterprise debuted, I was much older. I had sort of, you know, easily separated the differences between the two franchises. <laughs> and and, and so it was with Enterprise, where it was my first Star Trek, where I, you know, I sat through it from, you know, season one, episode one, all wow. the way to the end, yeah. And I, I would I would watch it with my sister, and every every Wednesday when it would come on, we, we'd watch the entire series. So and then from there, I went back and watched you know the older series, and and, and actually right now I'm actually as we speak, I'm, I'm I'm going through a Deep Space Nine rewatch, and I'm on season five of that. Now, how did you watch them before? Were you renting them DVD or VHS or how, what what format or or streaming them? I don't know. How how did you do that? Um, but we, I found a lot online a few years ago, back when I was starting to watch uh, Enterprise. I, I think I just I tried to find as many as I could online. I don't recall renting any the only thing i rented i think was maybe one of the movies i believe so it, it, it a lot of it was was just online from what i found a lot of like early episodes were you know were posted randomly before youtube was like such a, right. a conglomerate really well it's interesting because uh, with next generation you know that was the last time that gene rodman was involved and he kind of let things go pretty soon after the the show started because he got sick and different producers kind of took over and that sort of thing and he always had a lot of friction with Paramount and, and, and trying to get things his way. 
And then I remember with DS9, it was a show where instead of going out to find the action, the action would come to you because, you know, they're coming to that space station all the time. And there was there was some controversy at the time because uh, there was another show close to the premiere of DS9, which was Babylon 5, which is another super favorite show of mine that had a similar storyline about a space station where all the action comes to the space station. And it was pitched, I believe, to many, many studios and it was rejected. And then all of a sudden they went and did it on their own. And then Paramount turns around and says, hey, we got an idea. We're going to do a show about a space station. I was like, oh, my God, these guys, are they're all copying. And and up to this day, it still remains like a point of uh, contention with the producers of that show. So, again, it was a different structure. You know, you had your lead character who had a son in the show. So a different, different dynamic. And that was a show also that started out at a certain level and then it changed. It became a darker, more menacing kind of show because of all these wars that were happening. So, and I do remember one of the uh, executive producers was Ronald Moore, Ronald D. Moore, who then went on to do Battlestar Galactica, the, the reboot, which again, you can kind of see his style. Then with Voyager, let me just think for a minute. With Voyager, it it had a completely different tone. It was just trying to get back. So it's always trying to get back, trying to get back, trying to get back. And and then, unfortunately, with a show with that premise, you're always kind of stuck in this mode where you can't have them get back because the show ends so they always kind of get a little bit closer but not close enough and sometimes you can kind of see when the ratings started to slip uh, they were like oh we're getting really closer now it's really really close so you can kind of see that as the show was finishing they were kind of getting them closer and closer to the destination and the funny thing about Enterprise which has something very similar to Discovery is that with Enterprise I remember they promoted the hell out of the fact that this is the show where you're going to find out about how the whole Klingon war started, how this whole uh, Federation Klingon thing. And at first they did a little bit of it, but then for whatever reasons, I imagine for ratings or or different storylines, they kind of abandoned that whole Klingon thing and went into more traditional, you know, space adventure type of stuff. Do you remember that whole pitch about it being uh, more of a Klingon-y type of thing? Yeah, yeah, and I and and that was actually something that sort of piqued my interest as well. Whereas, like you know, they wanted to go really heavy into the Klingon backstory, but then it just kind of fizzled, which is which is still kind of puzzling yeah. to me. And just to get back to your, to your other point about DS Nine and sort of the atmosphere of it, and because it's so recent in my mind, because I, I've I've really been watching it for the last maybe you know um, two or three months now. Yeah, it, wow. it it is a very very different style of uh, from uh, from the previous two uh, series because, like you said, it just is very isolated and very encapsulated, you know, on the station and, and the station itself almost becomes like a a part of the show itself. And and, and yeah, and, and and but by the time you get to yeah. the to the end of the fourth season and into the fifth, it's very dark. They have the themes of it are you know the whole Cardassian and and Bajoran relationship is. The characters just really jump up to a different notch, really. Everyone yeah. has like these... And the, the Dominion War and the Jem'Hadar and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it really... Like, each character now, instead of becoming more... And I hate to say that the original series, the characters were sort of static, but they didn't really have arcs and they didn't really grow. I mean, to the extent where, you know, in DS9, by the end of the series, the character, many of the characters are in very different positions than from when they started. And I always liked that. I really enjoyed that type of storytelling. Right, and he also, because they're so far 
away, I guess, from the Federation. They're not all these clean-cut, you know, here's the good guys, here's the bad guys. With with DS9, you always had, well, what is this guy really up to? I know he's supposed to be a good guy, but all of a sudden you, re- you, you find out this history of all these weird things that this particular character might have done and how it, you kind of start to see them on a different light and that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And and furthermore, they also have the fact that because, like you said, they're so far away from the core Federation, you have the characters themselves having to sort of make these decisions that, you know, are sort of questionable, really. And that's to say, for example, like Cisco, like he, he has to sort of come to grips with making, you know, some decisions that might not you know, jive completely with how the Federation would handle it if he were closer, you know, to home. But he has to sort of make these decisions, you know, out on the frontier, so to speak, yeah. which is always pretty interesting. Yeah. Now, as these shows came and went, you know, we started to hear the rumblings again of some kind of new, because there's always some new Star Trek thing. And and there's always a chance that it's going to be a TV show. You know, they always they always hint at another possible, you know, rebooting of a TV show. But instead, what, what happened was after the... Uh, you know, after the original crew did all their movies and then the next gen people did all their movies, we had the J.J. Abrams reboot, which is, it's more than a reboot, it's an alternate universe. So it kind of is able to exist on a separate realm as to everything else. This way it doesn't kind of contradict itself. And those had, I believe, three movies. The first one, very successful. The second one, very controversial. A lot of people had a, a bad reaction to that one. And the third one was kind of good, but forgettable like it didn't really generate any traction and that was more or less almost around the time of the 50th anniversary and everybody was wondering you know what's going to happen for the 50th anniversary are they going to put out some kind of major announcement of of something different coming you know another movie or something and instead of going the movie route they made the announcements that they were going to come up with another show which is what leads us to star trek discovery now this show more than any other show, and maybe it's because I don't know so much about the production or, or the or the problems with production of the earlier shows, but this show seemed to have so many problems getting started. Originally, you had Brian Fuller and Alex Kurtzman as the executive producers of the showrunners, basically. And the plan off the bat was this, this was going to be a CBS production that was going to be the, the flagship, I guess, of their new streaming service, because right now, as everybody knows, we're in a streaming madness. Everybody and their grandmother has a streaming service. So this was the way that they were going to, you know, launch a, a new streaming service for CBS. And Brian Fuller, this is somebody who has the pedigree, as far as I'm concerned, you know, having to do with Star Trek, because he was uh, one of the people that did DS9, he did Voyager, he also did Heroes, if you guys remember Heroes in NBC. Then more recently, he did Hannibal, the, the Science of the Lambs television show, which inspired television, which I absolutely loved. And he was also in the process, at the same time as he was doing Discovery, he was doing American Gods for Stars, I believe. And from what I understand, his idea for the show was a little different. He wanted to do kind of like an anthology, kind of like what uh, American Horror Story or Fargo, you know, these shows that are doing season-long stories, and then they do a completely different story with different people sometimes on the second season and the third season, because he wanted to be able to hop around all the different timelines of Star Trek without being, you know, pigeonholed into one story, one one uh, continuous, you know, timeline. And 
as he got the show kind of started, you know, he started to have a lot of problems with, with CBS, you know, the, the studio, to the point where he kind of said, all right, that's enough. We, we, I, we can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm going on my own. Or they either asked him to leave or he left or something like that because he just couldn't do it. Because, again, at the same time, he was trying to produce another show. So they brought in a whole bunch of people. He brought in a whole bunch of people while they were having problems. And after he left, all the people he brought in to help put the show together they were either let go or quit which left us with Kurtzman his original partner now he also has again pretty good pedigree he uh, wrote uh, the movie The Island for uh, Michael Bay uh, trans some of the Transformer uh, films I believe the J.J. Abrams Star Trek uh, Star Trek Into Darkness he wrote also uh, The Amazing Spider-Man 2 and he directed most recently uh, I guess you can call it a bit of a bomb which was the uh, The Mummy with Tom Cruise so as it stands now, Kurtzman is the only one of the original people that is involved with that show. And I remember hearing the stories about how the show kept getting delayed a little more and a little more because they needed more time and because they kept losing showrunners and that sort of thing. And at the time, they had also brought in Nicholas Meyer, the director of Star Trek II and Star Trek VI, to kind of help with the show also. And I think one of the sons of Roddenberry is also involved with the show, you know, as a, as a, as an advisor or producer, or whatever, you know, they give everybody executive producer titles just to make them happy these days. But, you know, they brought in a lot of people and, I honestly, based on the information that we were given and, and how the show was progressing and how it was delay after delay after delay, and you know, the only thing you would hear is, oh, we're just trying to make the show the best possible. You know, it's the it's the regular line a studio gives you. We're trying to make things as best as possible. So, you know, you guys have a good show on your hands. You know, I swear I was very doubtful, you know, as to what the show was gonna be like because there was just so many the, the writing on the wall wasn't very good. How about you? Did, did you you remember hearing any of those stories? Oh yeah, I, I did actually. And, and and the funny thing is when the news of this really started breaking about how the you know, the first time it got pushed back, I, I didn't really have my ear to the grounds, you know, that much about it. So uh, it wasn't until it really started to kind of snowball and pick up where I was like, well, what's going on? Because I, I heard they were making, I heard, you know, they were making a Star Trek, a new series. And that was, it was pretty exciting because I haven't had one since Enterprise. So I, I knew about it, but I didn't really, I wasn't really, I didn't have, really have my eye focused on it. But until I kept hearing you know, more and more about these delays and, you know, these setbacks, I was like, you start raising my eyebrows. Like, you know, what's, yeah, what's going exactly. on? And, and, and the thing is, I guess back then, I guess yes, a bit more naive. I guess I I, I was still excited for it, and, I, and I, I, it surprised me the fact that I what I thought at the time was such a big production company would have so much trouble. I mean, it, it, it would be like you know, like Star Wars having you know production trouble. You know, imagine that. But um, but, uh, yeah. but <laughs> now we're kind of yeah, used yeah. to it. And and also, I do want to say this though. But I think the fact that. Right now, we, we we hear about all this stuff about um, about you know production issues and behind the scenes you know drama because it's so easy to get access to this. I think you know if, yeah. if we were back in you know the, the 1960s, and I think we would have heard about a ton of behind the scenes drama just the same, even with the original Star Trek. I, I don't think it would have been all roses and you know sunshine. I agree. I would say uh, internet. Once the internet started, forget it. The cat's out of the bag. Everybody knows everybody's dirty yeah, on the exa- web. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so I, I think uh, some of it, to a certain degree, may just be overblown, and, and some of it might be, you know, um, normal production that we just you know aren't used to seeing but now we're kind of you know 
you, you think about it, so many shows now and, and, and movies are having these production issues. But you, so you have to think that I'm not sure if, that, if that's you know something new or the fact that we just have our eyes focused and ears focused on it. Um, because thanks, thanks to the Internet, you know, nothing stays hidden anymore. And from the beginning, because they gave Fuller so much uh, leeway in, in being able to develop the show and get it started, you know, I, I don't know if from the beginning they they kind of knew that they were going to, you know, part ways. But he was able to design the show in terms of he and he said this is going to take place about 10 years before the, the Kirk era that we know and it's not going to be in the kelvin timeline it's not going to be the jj abrams timeline it's going to be the classic you know timeline that we're aware of and off the bat you know everybody understood you know he was saying you know it's not going to be about the captain of the show it's going to be about a somebody who's a, a bit lower in command than the captain at the time they were thinking uh african-american woman or maybe latino woman you're going to have a gay character you're going to have a lot of aliens so i remember around that time when they were mentioning those things it was also the beginning of where nowadays we're hearing a lot more of the the grumblings of wait a minute why are they doing this to my star trek why are they why do they have to change my stuff you know th there was a period the, of that the gatekeepers came out yeah it was like no that's not that's not my star trek my star trek has to be kirk you know it's got to be a guy and uh, the woman's on the back you know on the back row there somewhere and i don't want to hear about any alternate characters or anything like that no but we kind of went through this already once, I remember. During Battlestar Galactica, the reboot, the fact that they were changing the genders of a lot of characters, people were freaking out. And then, little by little, people started to catch on to the show because it was an excellent show. Here, already, they were, you know, they were having problems behind the scenes, and there were some grumblings off the bat. You know, you can't ignore that, that that was already happening. So let's just go through... Uh, before we hit the actual stories, let's go through some of these characters, because like I said, it was purposely made this way. There were interviews I read uh, with Fuller saying that, you know, he always thought of Star Trek, you know, if you go back to the uh, Gene Roddenberry days, as a progressive show. It's not about going backwards in time in that manner, you know, regressing, you know, it's about progressing and being more inclusive and all that kind of stuff. So the actress they picked, let me see if I get her name right, Soniqua Martin-Green. I only knew her from The Walking Dead because uh, I watched The Walking Dead. Have you ever heard of her before? No, actually, surprisingly not. I mean, I, I was loosely familiar with The Walking Dead, but I I hadn't watched it since the first two seasons. Oh, okay. So, so I'm assuming she was she came uh, later on the series. Oh yeah, yeah. She was definitely later on the series, and it's funny because it was around that time where she was announced, where they kind of had to kill off her character, and it was like I, I'm pretty sure they killed off her character because she wanted to hop to another yeah, show. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So it, it all happened right around the same time. Then you have let's see, Doug Jones as Saru. He's the the alien guy. Uh, let's see, his his race is a. Kelpian. You might know him, I think, if I'm thinking of the right actor. He did a couple of the Guillermo del Toro films. He played yep. uh, Sapien, I think, in Hellboy. And he was also, I think, in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. I think he played uh, that squid-looking guy. I forget his name. Uh, Dave Jones, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he's, in, the in right the, I think in the prosthetic monster universe, he, he's a pretty prolific yes. actor. He, he does... He does, yeah, he does a lot of a lot yeah. of that kind of stuff. And this is an alien creature we haven't seen yet. It's a brand new alien creature. And the thing about his character is that because of the, I guess, the way he grew up and the way of his people, he can sense death coming. Not necessarily to himself, but to the, the whole group. So that's something that they kind of play on every now and then. Then you have, okay, here we go, another name for me to try to pronounce. Jazad Latif. 
who plays, I'm going to say right now, Ash Tyler. <laughs> he plays another character that we're going to talk about later. And But all we need to know at this point is that he is going to be a prisoner of war, let's say, that they find uh, in a Klingon detention center uh, that he's brought on to the show. But he's got a mysterious past and having to do with, you know, all the uh, all the POW related stuff that's happening in the show. I had never seen him before. How about you? I've never heard of him. I've never heard of him before and never saw him before, (laughs) which is very fitting to his character later on. Yeah, I, you know, I'll tell you a quick story. I was blown away by the twist, and I did not fully understand the twist until today. <laughs> <laughs> As I'm researching the show, I'm like, wait a minute. Are you telling me this is this and that's that? I'm like, oh, my God. I was, I was like, I can't believe this. Like, how did I miss that? Let's see. Another character here, another actor, Anthony Rapp, who plays Paul who is the chief engineer. You know, you always have a chief engineer. And again, a very controversial character because he is not only the the first gay character, openly gay character for a television Star Trek show, because we did have something like that already. I believe it was in one of the last Star Trek films, very brief. Yeah, he's very, uh, but very subtle. He's also very subtle, very, uh, you know, like a last minute type of addition to the movie. But he's also played by an openly gay actor, which is something that is, you know, very important to not just represent a specific type of person, but have them play by that actual type of person, not just somebody pretending to be something, you know what I mean? So it's it's kind of neat how they, they were able to do that. And, and again, these are the little rumblings that some people all automatically get turned off by the show. And it's like, well, no, just watch it, see how they handle it. And you know, that was, uh, he's, again, and he's very important because of the actual technology that we're going to be dealing with in this show. He, it's, it becomes very important. Then you have Mary Wiseman, who plays Tilly. Now, she is kind of like, she's described as a, a cadet in her final year. So I think she kind of takes the role where other shows would have been done by some kind of naive kid. That's the kind of role she plays, because she's always saying the wrong thing, and she's very you know, all over the place and, you know, always putting her foot in her mouth. I mean, do you get that feeling? Yeah, yeah definitely. And, and, I, and I think she was definitely written that way, you know, on purpose. Um, but, but surprisingly, from what I've gathered, she, she's become like a, a crowd favorite, really. Yeah, she, and yeah. Fact, she has her, she's going to have her own book out. The character is, is going to be a book based on her character in February. <laughs> she, she, she became really a cult favorite from Discovery. Well, I think the reason is because in a lot of these shows, you know, the fans, you know, again, if you look at typical geek nerd culture, you know, your fan is not the the captain of the ship. The fan is usually a kid who's watching what's happening and is not as cool as everybody else. And on earlier shows, when you have a kid that's the person that you might be seeing the show through, through a kid. Here, because they don't have a kid, she kind of fills that role because it's the person that's unsure of themselves and the person that is making mistakes and is looking to other people, you know, for advice and for, you know, like uh, role models and that kind of thing. And I think that's why she's becoming a very popular uh, character with the show. Another big, big role here is Jason Isaacs, who I, I, he's done a million films, he's Harry Potter, everything. British actor, again, pulling off a Southern accent, which these British actors are incredible, how they can pretend to be just about anybody and they pull it off. Another character that has a huge twist that 
I did not suspect that, uh, you know, the type of twist that they threw at you in this first season, I normally would expect a show to take three or four seasons to pull something like what they did. So he's yeah, another. Now, he is the captain of, of the Discovery here. But he's not, like we mentioned earlier, he's not the lead. Let's see, Wilson Cruz, medical officer. Okay, this is the partner of the engineer whom, uh, let's just say something happens to him that, again, very shocking. But uh, from what I understand, he is be continuing in some shape or form with the show, which we're going to find out. And the last one I'm going to mention is be- not because we've seen him, but because we've seen the trailers. Anson Mount as Christopher Pike. They are introducing quite a number, and they even announced already that there's a guy who's going to be playing Spock. Uh, there's also a guy who's already been playing Sarek. Anson Mount, I remember him from Hell on Wheels, and more recently, Marvel's The Inhumans yep. that was canceled. He was the lead on that show, too, so he, he is a known face. And he is your your typical you know, square-jaw, blue-eyed Kirk analog, <laughs> and he's playing Pike. So we're going to see him pretty soon. Now, let's talk a little bit about the storyline. This is a 15-episode series. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you remember? What are the major arcs that we're dealing with in this show? All right, so the story itself, I think, is where it suffers the most from the production issues because the story itself, it seems like it tries to do a bunch of things all at once, but it sort of um, misses the mark on a few of them, in my opinion. But so what we have in the beginning is basically the um, the beginnings of what's been known as basically the Klingon war between the Federation and Klingons. And that's where it begins. It, it begins with this event called the Battle of the Binary Stars. Right, because first contact already occurred during Enterprise. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So they had, there, was just, there was this battle and the lead character, Michael Burnham, she sort of initiates by mistake, by accident, a confrontation, a standoff, if you will, between one of the Federation ships called the Shinzu and another Klingon ship that's only known as the sarcophagus ship, mysteriously. And this takes place in like this, this binary star field. And by the way, the, the visuals on this show are just stunning. They, oh my God. That, I was going to yeah, mention that. It is movie level, cinematic level effects. They're just unbelievable. I can't get over how good stuff looks. It, it, it really blew me away. Because I was thinking, okay, we're going to have like you know, a few a few shots you know, here and there of outside. No, like they have these no. sweeping big moments of CGI, you know, eye candy. But either way, um, this is, so, you know, the, this battle takes place. The Federation holds its own, but there's just too many Klingon ships, and the Klingons basically take out most of the Federation fleet. And that's an ongoing arc. That's an arc that that has been continuing, even though the show has been taking some turns here or there. That's the ongoing story that goes through the entire season. Yeah, we yeah. always come back to some Klingon problem, because at the same time, as we're having battles with Klingons, the Klingons are fighting amongst themselves. They're trying to unite the, the what they call the 24 houses, you know, this... this political way that they kind of divide themselves but they're backstabbing each other and doing all kinds of weird yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, so war is definitely the the um the, the sort of background of this whole uh, series so far where you know they have the individual episodes have their more or less stories that are going on but the the major overall arc is the war with the Klingons. So this event takes place, and that deals with the first two episodes. In the third episode, right. we get sort of a, um, a fast-forward, if you will, 
a few months. Let me just say something so people understand, and I always try to say this first. We, we are going to talk about some spoiler material here because we're going to assume that whoever's listening to this uh, has already seen the first season. And a lot of these twists and shocks that, that I mentioned earlier, we are going to discuss them. So let's let's tell them the fact that, first of all, the first ship that she was on, the Shenzhen, that gets destroyed. And as a result of the war starting, she's uh, imprisoned. And that's when you get that jump. She's kind of brought back to service. She's requested by somebody. Yep. And and, and, and just to dive into a little more, um, the reason why she's arrested is twofold, really, because, because she sort of was seen as starting the war, as well as creating basically a mutiny yeah, on board. Yeah, with her she, captain. Uh, on board right. the Shenzhou. Yeah, she, she sort of uh, knocks out her right. captain, basically. But in, in the process, she also, at some point, is able to inflict damage into on the Klingons with the captain's help. But the captain gets fatally wounded during that mission, and the captain dies. So that's the end of the captain, and she's completely uh devastated by what happened yeah the background is that michael burnham has been kind of like the the you know the sort of chronicle daughter to captain Giorgio right. for you know quite some time so right 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 and then you know we we also find out a little more of the background of, of michael burnham uh the fact that she is kind of like an adopted daughter of savick also just like he has spock on one side he has her also as an adopted daughter and through the series we find out you know how those two kids diverged in two different paths and how you could kind of say that Spock was more his favorite because he was able to get him access to uh, the Vulcan Academy or something and she didn't. She ended up going in a different direction, I guess, towards the Federation. So there's always going to be this thing between her and her adopted father. But I believe they mentioned something like the the reason her parents originally died was as a result of a Klingon attack, right? Yeah, her parents were killed by um, by Klingons. So it sort of gives her the sort of animosity she needs to sort of, I, I guess, you know, feel so hostile towards the, uh, yeah. the Klingons. Now, the reason she is brought out is, again, to... Because she's specifically requested by Lorca because he's running some kind of experiments with some new technology and he kind of wants her help uh, to, kind, you know, to, to be able to uh, hopefully, if they can perform these experiments and, and get this new, I think they called it a spore drive, they can kind of get the, um, hopefully get an edge on the Klingon war because they, they're getting the butt kicked uh, left and right here or there. Yeah, and, and, and this was when, this is around episode three yeah. now we're talking about, and this is when I really started really getting on board with the show because now they're talking about really really cool ideas it's you know, new stuff where it's not really this wasn't really seen in any of the star trek that i watched no this is new oh, no 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 this, yeah, this yeah. Is like this is like new entire territory for me so when they start talking about like the mycelial drive i was like what, is, <laughs> what? You know, yeah what so then it, that spawned off like this whole like you know research i was doing on like spores and and, and mushrooms <laughs> <laughs> and, and i was literally doing research about you know a fictitious engine drive <laughs> <laughs> but and this is the thing where I, I was a bit disappointed because they start setting up all these pieces like they, they had they would have like scenes in, in, the, in the show that they didn't really come back to because it felt like you know there were so many um, hands in the development of the show like it felt like certain things were set yeah. up for one person and then when it switched hands they just never really took that away they just kept everything 
you know, everything in the kitchen sink into the show. And the technology of the Spore Drive, eventually, it started out as a, an episode where you have, like, the, the monster of the week. They have to figure out what this monster is. Yeah, yeah. And then later, they realized the monster has something to do with these spores. And then they kind of shifted it. Okay, the spores then now have something to do with the engineer. Okay, so he can kind of channel these spores, and he's kind of connected into the machine, into the engine, into everything. So that was a little bit of a of a handing off of a premise from one place to another to another, and it's like, okay, is that where we are now? But uh, granted, the, the, it keeps changing because obviously this technology is never mentioned in any future stuff. So I imagine sooner or later this technology is going away. Yeah, yeah, and I, and and not to jump too, way too far ahead, but that last short track, which which we'll come back to yeah. at the end of the show, but that last, oh boy. yeah, that last short track touched upon something uh, there, maybe. So yeah. Now again, as we know more and more about these characters, a couple of other little highlights come about. Uh, they introduce the character of Harry Mudd, played by Rain Wilson, I guess from uh, from The Office. He's a very funny character, very funny actor. I kind of liked. Uh, his character, I, I I hope they bring him back again because he's such a, such a such a dislikable slime ball, basically, and he's very essential in giving us more of the backstory and how we meet the character of Ash Tyler, who, like I said earlier, he's a POW and he also develops a romantic interest with Burnham. But then we learned some really, really weird, weird stuff that took place. How did you feel about his introduction? When I saw this episode, I, I didn't see the original rendition of Mud. So this to me, <laughs> this, yeah, so, yeah, so this, this to me was like, I was like, oh wow, he's a really cool character. I really like this guy, and, and he plays the perfect foil to Ash Tyler because we we meet these two guys at the same time. So where I think if they would have had us be introduced to Ash Tyler by himself, I think it would have raised some alarm bells. But because Mud was introduced as well, you know, at the same time as Ash. It, it distracts still, yeah, you a yeah, little yeah, bit. It's the perfect sleight of hand where, you know, you know, don't look at this, you know, look at look at look at this wacky character over right. here. And and it distracts you to the point where, you know, you forget about Ash and you, you know, you root for this guy because of how, you know, criminally you know, insane, you know, Harvey Mudd is. So, but, but I love the character. I, I think he played him, you know, I think Rain played him, you know, spot on. He, he, he wasn't so over the top as he was in the original series. No. <laughs> but he, the original series is like a Broadway play, yeah, you know, yeah. like a musical yeah, almost. Exactly. Like, it's like, wow, these guys are so over the top. Yeah, yeah but, they're over, yeah, he, really hamming it up. But, but I, I think Rain did a, a perfect blend of the character. I really, I really, really hope we see him again. Yeah. And what's also happening here is that certain characters like Ash Tyler and Lorca, Lorca has, there's something about him that you, you learn early on. He's got some weird tics and some weird things that are happening to him. He, you know, he has a certain affliction with light, like light bothers him. Yeah. And it's also as a result of some, something that happened to him. So they are throwing this veil of suspicion early on about a lot of characters that you don't know where they're going to go with them. And little by little, we start to find out what's going on. Now, one of the biggest other story arcs. And again, this is familiar territory. We've been here before. You know, we had the creature of the week. We have the Klingons. We have Harry Mudd, obviously. Now we have the mirror universe, the mirror, mirror universe, which it's one of these things where on previous Star Trek shows, I always would think, 
oh, they're doing Mirror Mirror. Why are they doing Mirror Mirror? And it's like, okay, well, let's get it over with. Let's get the Mirror Mirror episode over with so we can move on with the show. Here, for whatever reason, and again, it's I think it's because I like the show so much, I didn't mind it as much. And they spent quite a bit of time here because through the Mirror Mirror universe that they show us here, we then start to get all these twists that lead us to the finale of the first season. Let's talk about Lorca first. One of the things we find out is that the Lorca that we've known since the beginning of episode one, well, episode three, really, is not Lorca. He is a mirror mirror version of Lorca that somehow made it to this universe and is kind of doing stuff behind the scenes to be able then to come back and politically get the upper hand in his mirror mirror world. Why don't you, uh, if you remember, tell us a little bit about how this mirror mirror world is different. Well, as with every mirror mirror universe, <laughs> everyone has mustaches apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but, um, but this story, and, and by the way, Lorco is probably my favorite character on the whole show. I, I think he really, he, I think he really stole oh, the, yeah. the show. But, and, and the fact that he was so nuanced and just like every episode was just like so bizarre and he's just so you know you don't know which way he's gonna go because they set it up in a way that he's definitely he's not evil you cannot say you know from day one he's an evil character but he but his but his motivations are so shadowy and murky he, he's and, a great actor he's and, and a top-notch actor that's the thing he really is and, and and when you have like this you know sort of not nefarious but just so shadowy you know motivation behind the character and it's and, his and, harry potter street cred that's always there that's yeah, the problem really, yeah 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 exactly yeah yeah, you look at him, you're like, something's going yeah, quite right. But, 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 his, but his interactions with everyone is so nuanced, and, and they set it up in a way so, like, you can tell he's, there's always, like, a, a deeper layer to what he's talking about. And one of the things is where he's talking with one of the admirals, uh, Admiral Cornwall, and you can tell they have a relationship together from the past. And you, you can tell he's not being upfront with her. You can tell he's still hiding yep, something, yep. and 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 that sets up, and it sets it up perfectly. Where you know, and they have these great shots of him, you know, looking into the reflection, mm-hmm. and you know, kind of really, 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 kind of you know, giving you the hint that something's not quite right about, about this character. <laughs> And it's not overdone. It's not like in your face, like oh, you know, he's a bad guy. He's like he's you know he's this mustache trolling, you know, villain. But he, he's you can tell something something's not quite right with him. And yeah, so he has this other version of himself in the mirror universe, which we haven't and, we haven't met because I I think they said he's presumed dead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah at yeah, least it, the it, one it, that it, came from our from our world to their world. But I don't believe that for one minute. Uh, I actually do. I actually think it is. Conf- if you don't see a body, and you know how's that, how's the line go? If you, know, yeah. if you don't see the body, and, and you, you know, can't. And this is an actor. He's a top notch actor. I, I doubt they only hired him for one season. He's going to come back in some shape or form because the original Lorca is going to somehow be trapped in the mirror universe and come back. I think in some shape or form because by the end of this one, they kill them off basically. Yeah, and and unfortunately, because I really again I really enjoy his character, but I, I think the initial idea was that he. We was going to last one season, and they technically did kill kill the original Prime Universe Lorca. Not to get too confusing, but, but I think because a he was just so popular, and and like you said, you know, it's such as like a big you know name to the show. I think they are going to find a way to to bring the Prime Lorca back into the show itself. Yeah, yeah but, but he's just a great actor overall. He really brought something 
you know, extra to the cast. The biggest flip here is that in this Mirror Mirror universe, the, the alliances are completely different. Earth is the bad guy. The the Klingons are good guy. You know, they're like in a good alliance. And, you know, every a lot of people are flipped around. And all of a sudden, the captain of the Janzun... Uh, she is alive and she becomes a very important character because she, you know, we saw her die. The, the prime one died and now the new one, the evil one, kind of, she's now living in our universe because she's going to be helping us, helping us, helping the Federation, hopefully win the war against the Klingons. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. The, the, the mere universe is usually um, more or less, uh, obviously, judging from the name, a sort of a flip of whatever is going on in our prime universe. So in, in the mere universe, universe the federation is being basically it, it's not even called the federation it's called the uh the terran yeah, empire yeah yeah and they're basically sort of the uh, the big yeah, mustache trolling like... villains of, of their universe and it's ruled by someone you know called the empress and we find out it's Giorgio uh -huh. who was killed like you said in our prime universe so but basically everything is flipped and when they go into the mirror universe completely by accident well no it's by design uh, yeah, by it was Lorca. It's by yeah. Lorca. Yeah, he was basically the mastermind who, through all this time, the reason why it was so hinted that he was he had something up his sleeve is because he wanted to get back to his universe, which is the mirror universe. Correct. So he very, very cleverly manipulates these turn of events that basically gets the discovery to basically jump into the mirror universe, and from there he wants to then meet up with basically reclaim what he what he was pulled away from in the mirror universe exactly exactly and the other big twist that i talked about earlier that i i knew something was up but i didn't know they were going they were going to go that far is that ash tyler turns out to be let's see a sleeper agent i guess for like a manchurian candidate type of agent for the Klingons, but he looks totally human. So the story is that he voluntarily uh, had surgical alterations done to his body in order to look human, but he's really a Klingon. But all his memories have been kind of hidden, so it's part of his cover. But that I understood, you know, I got that. And that totally blew me away because all these memories of him being tortured and it's even implied that he was practically, I guess, raped at some point by a Klingon woman, let's say. It's not really that. It's that he was Klingon. So he, I don't think, I think the implication is that he was having relations with other Klingons because he's a Klingon. And it wasn't really... Uh, bad in terms of it wasn't torture, it wasn't anything like that. It was just the things that he. It's almost like a born identity kind of character where he, he willingly goes through all this torturous medical stuff, you know, for the mission, and that completely like floored me. Did you understand that? <laughs> because I was like, what? But we have by this time in the series, I was so into it because we're now talking about we're about halfway through this the season now. So I was so into it. I was like doing all this, like, you know, watching reviews and, you know, going through all this stuff. So uh, I, I was really I was really I was following it 100 percent. And and there's a lot of theories going around. Um, there's actually even an interesting one because a lot of people were so thrown by this that they were doing a lot of digging around on sites like IMDb. 
to see if they can find out the actor because 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 well, uh, uh, we didn't mention this before, uh-huh. but there's another character in the show called Valk, and yeah. Valk is a Klingon. Yeah, and uh, why don't you tell and, everybody and, who he really is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Valk is a Klingon, but he um, and we saw him in the beginning of the series. Yeah, he's yeah, this series, uh, Klingon yeah. who's like nobody likes him. He looks a little different. He comes from a family that has like no title, but then he kind of volunteers when when their leader dies. He volunteers to help. And they're like, yeah, whatever, let him do it. He's, you know, we don't like him anyway. And and he's like this guy who just wants to please everyone, you know? Yeah, and he, he actually has, uh, I think I think he has like um, the right to lead the Klingons, but no one recognizes right. him because he has no house. Or exactly. Something, something to that effect. And so he disappears. I mean, the character, for, for a good three episodes, we don't see, yes. you know, hiding or hair. <laughs> so, and then all of a sudden, you know, we have this new character, Ash Tyler, appear. Right. So people started scratching their heads like, uh, okay. So he says, so as, as it turns out, Ash Tyler is what is well, I would say is or was. That is character. Bob. That specific yeah, character. That character. And like yeah. I mentioned earlier, yeah. I figured that out today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wait, because I, I understood he was a Klingon, but I never made the connection that he was also that first Klingon we saw earlier in, this, in the show. And later I started reading some stuff and I noticed they were saying something like they purposely gave that actor a phony name, a phony yeah. acting name, which is a derivative, I yep. think, of his, like he was saying, like his father's name or something, just to throw people off the scent. Yeah, and, yeah. And it, it is it, him. Which was... Yeah, yeah, which was really clever. Yeah, I mean, because again, in this day and age, it's very oh hard to keep God, like, any yeah. sort of secret. It's any sort of secret. So I, I really think they really tried to, to really hide that as much as possible. And if you think about it, they could have also had the Klingon played by a different actor, so that it could throw people even more off the scent. But I guess. If you put him under makeup, yeah, yeah, then right. it becomes more official that they fooled us, that they completely fooled us. But yeah, that is definitely... And again, I mean, I, I have a feeling that they're not done with the Mirror Mirror universe because they have to resolve a lot of these characters that are now interwoven with this universe. You know, like I said, I, I'm still convinced Lorca is going to come back. The other Lorca is going to show up at some point. The other captain now, the, the evil version, she's hopping around here trying to help us with the Klingon war. So I don't think we're done. Oh, no, no, definitely not. Not, not with the mirror universe. I mean, just by design, I think I think you have to. Because it, I can't imagine, you know, the Empress still sticking around for, you know, for no good reason. There's going to be something that comes, that's going to come up and yeah. tie us back into the, the, the mirror universe. And, and in fact, even the medical do- uh, doctor, Colbert, you know, uh, something happens to him. Yeah, well, let's again, let's let's just say it because it's we are spoiling everything. Ash Tyler, as part of his his awakening to who he really was, he kills him. Yeah, and and uh, I, think, I don't think it was like anything intentional. Like, I don't think he woke up to and mean to kill him, but I think no. he woke up and was like so like in such like a a frantic mentally you know you know this mental yeah. state of his he kind of like reached out and just like you know snapped his neck basically but we saw his character like i mentioned earlier return i don't know if you want to call him a ghost or an apparition or or some kind of other ethereal presence where he is able to kind of communicate with the engineer yeah yeah exactly yep so i i don't think i don't think we're done with him no. I, think, I think he's definitely no. gonna definitely coming back now 
towards the end of the series, as I believe they're performing like one final jump because the engineer is, and I keep calling him the engineer. Let me call him by his proper name, Paul. His name is Paul. Yeah, Paul Stamets. He's having problems because, again, maybe this is how they get rid of this technology to kind of write it off, to kind of course correct. It's making him sicker and sicker and sicker, but he's able to perform like one crazy last, yeah. like I think they were saying like 131 micro jumps or something, some, some insane number. He performs like one additional one, which ends with all of a sudden their ship, the Discovery, approaching the Enterprise. And it's like, uh-oh, here we go. Now we're being connected, completely connected. And at the time, I don't think we knew this exactly, but later on when we started to see the trailers for what was coming, it's Captain Pike. Yeah, and th- that final scene of the two ships, you know, nose to nose <laughs> was just... Uh, I, I was like, I mean, I mean, and I'm not that much of a, a fanboy where, you know, it's like, you know, oh, you know, it's the Enterprise, but still, it's just something about the music and the, oh, and the way it's shot is just, it's just it, it, it really just got like a, you know, like a chill, like, oh man, that, that is pretty awesome. Especially when, for example, now you see the Enterprise, the, the television Enterprise being done with modern effects, uh, you know, under those conditions, it just, it feels so natural it being there. Yeah, exactly. And I know a lot of people, I mean, there's a lot of people who do not like this show <laughs> and they feel like everything about it is bad, where every design looks horrible, every, every decision they make is bad and it, it breaks canon. You cannot make it, and I'm not going off on a tangent here, but you cannot make a show like this with this production, you know, style, you know, make it look like a 1960s, you know, TV sh- uh, set anymore. You can't, you can't. It, oh, it no. But they could never do that. Even with Enterprise, you know, people were saying, well, how come the walls don't look solid with just big blinking buttons? You can't. Nobody's going to watch something, you know, with, with plywood sets. You know, they, they need something. You need, you got to do something more modern. Even with the J.J. Abram films, again, same same argument. Well, everything looks too modern. Everything looks too shiny. It's like, well, yeah, I, exactly. And, 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 and it's not as if the aesthetic is so, you know, jarring where it doesn't look anything like Star Trek. It, 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 you know, I'm, I'm looking at the Enterprise and it looks like the Enterprise. It's oh, a yeah. very iconic ship and they kept true to it, you know, very, very closely. But it's just people, you know, are, are so, you know, set in their ways where they, you know, change is horrible in, in, in any aspect. Oh, you know, I've been surrounded my entire life, you know, in, in this genre, geeky, nerdy stuff. And I've always had people around me that that, that that same argument would keep coming back. Anything gets rebooted. Anything gets done. And it's like, oh, it's not mine. Mine was back in this time. And this is just a yeah. quick money grub. You know, nobody cares. I'm like, will you please just watch the show for five minutes before you tell me how much you hate it? And it's happened a few times where, again, with Battle or Galactica. I had people that were bitching and moaning left and right. Oh, how could how could uh, Starbuck be a woman? What what kind of crap is that? And then they watch the show and they love it. It's like, oh my god. Yeah. Well, the thing is, that you have to watch it with an open mind. You oh. can't you can't go into it wanting to you know wanting to not you know hate it because then that opens up a whole another argument where they where they just pick up pick it apart and you know and just try to find flaws. In yeah. It, but. Yeah. Now, luckily, Star Trek hasn't gone through the more current 
you know, toxic fandom phenomenon that I've been seeing with like Star Wars, for example, or some major, major franchises. But so far, so good. Like I said, we've seen the trailers for what's coming next season. The uniforms, we're going to start to see the colors, the reds and the yellows and the blues. So that's uh, exciting as far as I'm concerned. You know, anytime they... Here is a perfect example where, you know, you can't look exactly like 1960s, but the color palettes are starting to blend a little more towards in that direction. So that's kind of neat too. Yeah, yeah. In fact, right when I saw the the trailer, I saw Pike in his you know the bright yellow. I was like, okay, <laughs> like this is good. <laughs> I thought they were going to hold off a little bit. I thought maybe by season three or four, maybe we start seeing it. But no, they right out of the gate, you know, they were not they weren't hiding it. They were they weren't you know yeah. just you know, subtly I'm, teasing. I'm like I, right I'm like where the are the action figures? I want to see the action figures. Somebody make action figures oh, I, quick. Oh, I, 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 I can't wait. I, I I'm still hoping they they put out some sort of like you know more official enterprise figures oh, yeah, but yeah. Star, star wars gets all the good figures star, <laughs> star trek never you never get really good quality star trek they figures. they've they've changed hands the different companies so many times that it's like they it's almost like they can never finish uh, what they started because they switch companies and then they got to start from scratch all over again yeah the yeah. other thing i want to mention about the show i love the music i love the theme one of the things i completely hated about enterprise and i don't know if you feel the same way i'm oh, sorry I know, I know, is I know that opening going. theme i absolutely hated it. I know exactly where you're going. And I'm <laughs> really glad you brought this up because I was going to mention this actually. It was like the theme from The Greatest American Hero almost. Yeah, it was like, what is this, 1970? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And, and even though like, I, I, I respect the whole intro to Enterprise because it had like, you know, the, the shots of, you know, like the... the oh, the vi- I like the visuals. The visuals it was, it was I like. Cool. It was cool, yeah, but it's just the song every, t- oh. every time. Every time. It's like, it, it was like, a, it was like, like James Taylor or, or John Denver. It was this very weird, folky, 60 kind of hippy dippy song it's like what this isn't star trek what's going on here this music i absolutely love i don't know why i think it reminds me again of more of the uh the modern star trek film music the mike uh, michael giancano star trek theme but even the sh- the music during the show you mentioned the special effects i love the aesthetics i love the darkness everything is darker and a little more brooding and again when we remember we talked about uh, marvel versus dc and how i always gravitate towards the darker the batmans and that kind of stuff this show to me is the darkest of all of them it's it's kind of creepy dark yeah and i want to touch on two points we brought up the music yes definitely and in fact they have the soundtrack to discovery by jeff russo he's the guy who does most of the i think all of the the whole score for discovery yes he's done a lot of work he he does a fantastic job with another show called legion and oh yeah the the music in legion is just amazing like he he does all these like (laughs) renditions of like different songs like different like you know 60s and 70s like pop culture songs and just like he does like synth like a lot of like synth pop kind of stuff yeah like uh, like a very 70s uh electronica kind of weird sounding music yeah i love his work so much and, and discovery is the same thing where you know there's no you know lyrics or anything but the musical overtones of like blending the classic star trek themes with these new it's very sci-fi feeling but very pulp fiction type feeling yeah, to yeah. it's really really fantastic and your other point we brought about the, the lighting and the darkness of the show that also i cannot agree more with because the show Except for one episode, except for the, the episode where they the time loop episode, which was more of a fun episode. Yeah, uh, that episode is very bright. It's more of a fun episode. But the, the other you know episodes in the season, everything's very dark. It's very dimly lit, and I can't remember which episode it is. But there's just one shot 
and it stands out to me. I, I don't know why, but it is just one shot in the opening of the show, and it doesn't really uh-huh. have a point. There's no, there's no real point to it, but it, it's it's a dark lit hallway where all you see is a, like a worker engineer kind of like fixing something, fixing like a light or something. It's like flickering on and off. It's very grim, very dark, and I I don't know why. There's no real. There's no like it, it, yeah the, the it's, show, very, it's artistic yeah, that's yeah, what it's it is artistic. it's artsy yeah, exactly because there's absolutely no point to it. It, it it doesn't come into play in the story but it, it just shows like this like this light flickering on and off you know illuminating the hallway in this very eerie you know creepy way it's the, the lighting is done very well yeah so the show started with 15 episodes and i believe for the second season we're getting 13 episodes and it's going to start in january so as i mentioned before in whatever manner you can watch the show, watch it. I know it's CBS, All Access, streaming services, and and there's so many streaming services coming, and I don't know exactly what the heck I'm going to do because, you know, CBS, uh, Marvel, Star Wars, uh, Disney, you know, they're, Disney's starting their own thing if you're going to watch all that Star Wars stuff that's coming. You know, I'm not sure how we're going to do this because I cannot subscribe to 75 different streaming services. No, so it, yeah. there, there are ways of watching. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> there are ways of watching. It's up to you to figure out how to watch it. And eventually, it's all on DVD because all this stuff you can rent at the same time. You go to Netflix and rent them. Oh, yeah. In fact, actually, um, this is actually perfect timing because Star Trek Discovery, it just went on sale for Blu-ray um, uh, yesterday, actually. Oh, they must have excellent behind-the-scenes and bonus material. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it's on my Amazon wish list right now, actually. <laughs> Now, before the second season starts and only, Jesus, it's only like two more months, I think, or less, they gave us a little treat. They're putting out these little mini episodes to kind of get people, I guess, excited about what's coming. And I'm not entirely sure if these are just one-off type of stories, but I could have swore I read something that we might see more of these characters on future actual episodes. The first episode uh, was about Tilly and her relationship with her mom and how she discovers uh, an alien presence that ends up being a queen that's hiding from her coronation that's coming. So it was, again, one of these, her becoming friends with somebody where she's like the last person she ever wants to become friends with anybody because she's so weird. What did you think of that first one? I watched the episode from start to finish twice. The first time I saw it, I actually liked it. I was like, oh, this, this is actually a pretty good, you know, a pretty good little intro, you know, 15 minutes short. And I really enjoyed it. And then I watched it the second time. I'm like, uh, I don't know. So, uh, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure what changed, or maybe I, I, I was, you know, I was in a better mood the first time. For what for what these are worth, they're 15 minutes, so you have to really give it a, you know, you have to really, you know, take it for what it's worth. You know, you can't tell this grand story in 15 minutes. You know. Yeah. Now, do you remember the yeah. beginning where they show you the docking bay and all that? Wasn't that incredible? Again, the effects just completely blew me away. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the first, the, even before that, the first scene was just of the discovery, of, of you know, discovery itself, yeah. where, you know, the, the shuttle's yeah. coming into discovery. And I was like, oh, here we go again. I, I, I Again, I love, the CGI is just beautiful. And, and to see discovery again for the first time, you know, after a few months, it was, it was really great. But yeah, the, the, the CGI, and I'm glad even, for, even for the shorts, even for these little, yeah, they don't skip shorts, out on anything. The, the, yeah. the production, they're not skipping out. And now the second one that I watched is a weird one because it takes place, uh, what do oh, they say, yeah. a thousand years later? Yeah, you find out it's a thousand years into the future. In the Discovery, and you have, there's nobody in there. The ship is, is like an autopilot, but there is a, a, a computer, I guess, that we that is new. It's, it's, a, it's a, I guess it's a, it's a future version of whatever computer is attached to the ship, kind of like a HAL kind of computer, let's say. 
that discovers a, a floating ship that's like a like an escape pod or something. And they are they revive the the computer revives the the person there, and that person ends up being somebody who is someone who escaped from another planet that was having some kind of conflict, and that person is now stuck in the discovery, and he just wants to get back to his home. But the computer says that you know the mission is to stay where they are. She can't really spare any any shuttles or anything like that. And little by little. The computer and and the, that individual they kind of start falling in love with each other because they're the only ones there and they're they're constantly talking about their you know their well not the computer's family but his family and you know all his experiences that he had and then at the end she allows him to leave to get on a a shuttle the last shuttle and go off in the direction of wherever it is that 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 he was trying to get to I guess. But we don't know what happens to him. Yeah, and, and that's the thing with these short treks. Like they're really nailing the premise of you know setting up a character and some conflict, and then sending them on their way, their fate unknown, really. And that, and, and and that leaves the door open for um to bring these characters back in the show or you know down the road because both shorts have to have to do basically with the characters kind of going off to unknown fate, really. But yeah, this, exactly. This one was really good. This one I. I really enjoyed this one. I knew the premise going into it. I knew there was going to be some sort of AI that, and the two characters were going to kind of, you know, hit it off, so to speak. But, and I thought it was going to be like kind of, you know, done, you know, very cheesy, you know, um, the two characters are going to fall in love, like, like, the, like the movie Her or something. But, but, <laughs> but, but it, it, and again, 15 minutes we're talking about here, it, it does a pretty good job in having us, you know, really, really care about the kid. His name is Kraft, by the way. Um, yes, that, yes. Uh, the, the, you know, we really care about this guy. And it, it was really, really interesting. And it, it was a premise that's been seen before and done before. But as for, as for like, again, a little 15-minute trek, you know, short trek, it, it really was pretty entertaining. And again, I, I really hope, honestly, I really hope we see this guy again. I don't think it'd be possible to bring him back into Discovery Season 2. But down the road, I really hope we see, we see a return of him. Yeah, according to the an article I see here, the shorts will also introduce audiences to new characters who may inhabit the larger world of Star Trek. So we might see these guys again. And according to this, one was directed by Rain Wilson, who also reprises his role from Discovery as Harry Mudd. So the fourth one might be a Harry Mudd-related episode because I think we've kind of oh, seen that's a, right. yeah, a preview. Right. The next one is is uh, Doug Jones. It's uh, Saru's, uh, something, something to do with Saru's uh, uh, family or his upbringing in his planet or something. So I guess those are the next two. Yeah, that's that are right. Yeah. Up. Now that you mentioned, yeah, I, I, I can set my mind before. Yeah, that's right. The, the, the last one is going to be um, a Harry Mudd story. I'm not sure if it's going to be... I'm not, I don't know if it's going to be a continuation from... Where we leave him, or or, or it's no, going to be knows? more of a background. But it's interesting. He's also directing that that particular episode. And like I said, the next one is the, the backstory Kelpian, yeah. of how the Kelpian joins Starfleet. So that's interesting. Uh, they, yeah, it's interesting. They don't they don't devote an entire episode, uh, but they do these little shorts. Uh, it's just fine. You know what? I'll take it. I don't care. I love it. I'll take it all. Yeah, people are complaining. Like it's a fifteen minute little episode where you can kind of you know whet your appetite until the you know the bigger season comes out. Like I, I'm not seeing what's bad about these. I, I, I mean, yeah, the story isn't going to be you know Shakespeare or anything, but as for a fifteen minute you know show, it gives you a little nuggets to chew on, basically. Yeah, and the thing that we also have to re- keep in mind is the fact that we're 
we're in a different world now. We're in the streaming world. In the streaming world, you don't have 26 episodes anymore. No. That is gone. Even the network shows are trying to get away from that, too, to save money and to cut, just not to uh, dilute the stories with filler episodes and that kind of thing. Star Trek only has uh, 15 episodes to begin with, and next time around, I think they said 13 or something. So, yeah, you know, you're not going to get twice as many episodes, so I'll take whatever you they throw at me. They give me some little mini ones. That's fine by me. I'm, I'm cool with that. Yeah, and and you, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said um, the way TV shows are being shot now. And I think it is very post Game of Thrones, where every episode is basically a little small, you know, a movie basically. I mean, yeah. and you have so few episodes now because each episode costs so much. In in previous Star Trek, you would have you know two or three episodes go by where there'd be filler episodes, or you know, and not necessarily filler in a bad way, but just episodes where not you know the story didn't need to have this constant you know churn. You know, you contrast that with um, with Discovery and Discovery. Every episode, you know, it means something. Like if you miss one episode, you're gonna be lost <laughs> because every episode is vital to the story. Right, and and these episodes are like you said, uh, just like Game of Thrones. They're they're pretty expensive episodes. There is an article here that mentions that the money that they made just from Netflix, because Netflix has the international rights to distribute the show, not CBS. Uh, the, the the streaming service is only national, you know, for the U.S. But the money that they made from Netflix alone to do the international distribution, that alone paid for the entire budget of the show. Oh, wow. So. Anything above that is just gravy. Any money that they're getting from the streaming service is all gravy right now for them. So they're in pretty good, in pretty good hands. Yeah, which is really good to hear because, again, and I hate to even you know keep repeating it, but the production is so good. I really hope that continues because, you know, it, it, and again, it's like it's like these shows now are just becoming you know basically movies where they're condensed. They're much higher cost per episode. But you, but you yeah. get more, you know, really bang for your buck. You're, you're, you're basically having a movie streamed, you know, like a, like a six-hour movie or seven-hour movie basically streamed to you. Yeah. So I think we're pretty much in agreement that this is one that we recommend and we're coming back to it uh, as soon as it returns. And in the meantime, we have two more of these little short ones to watch. So thanks, Steve. Hey, thanks for having me back. I enjoyed it. We, get, we definitely, definitely got to continue this. Maybe mid-season of Discovery Season 2 when we get <laughs> together and do a mid-season recap. Sounds like a plan. Thank you. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. I'd like to thank Steve for joining me once again, helping me with one of these genre subjects that we all love. And hopefully we will have some more news about more Star Trek. You know, we're almost there. We're almost at the season two premiere and only uh, another month and a half. And we have a couple more short treks to go through before we get there. So on behalf of everybody here, thanks for listening. And we'll see you here soon at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody. Every moment is a test. And everywhere I turn, there's fear. I'm responsible for 203 lives. I'm tired of deciding which mission is too risky and which isn't, and who lives. But who dies? Insufficient facts always invite danger, Captain. And action! I was raised to believe that service was my purpose. I see an outsider. A child molded by wisdom and human compassion. We speak about the objective hardness of the Vulcan heart. Yet how little room there seems to be in yours. I'm responsible for forging my own path. We all are. 
If you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2018. This broadcast is part of the IC Robots radio network. Visit icrobots.com for this and many other nerd slash nostalgia related podcasts. You won't be sorry for long.